Peter Pan by J. M. Barrie Chapter 8 The Mermaid's Lagoon If you shut your eyes, and you're the lucky one, you may see at times a shapeless pool of lovely pale colours suspended in darkness. Then if you squeeze your eyes tighter, a pool begins to take shape, and the colours became so vivid. With another squeeze, they must go on fire. Just before they go on fire, you see the lagoon. This is the nearest you ever get to it on the mainland. For one, just one heavenly moment, if you could be two moments, you could see the surf and hear the mermaids singing. The children often spent long summer days on this lagoon, swimming or floating most of the time, playing the mermaid games in the water, and so forth. You might go, not think from this that this at the moment, mermaids, oh, friendly terms of them. On the contrary, is among Wendy's last, latest lasting regrets. All the time she's on the island, she never had a civil word for them, one of them. When she stole softly on the edge of the lagoon, she might see them by the score, especially by Maruna's rock, where they loved to bask, coming out their hair in a lazy way that quite irritated her, or she might even swim on tiptoe if they were to, to within a yard of them. But then they saw her and dived, probably splashing her with their tails, not by accident, but intentionally. They treated all the boys the same way, except for course Peter, who chatted with them on Marina's rock, Mar- Marina's rock by the hour, and sat on their tails when they got cheeky. He gave Wendy one of their combs. Most haunting time which to see them is the turn of the moon they utter strange wails in cries, but the lagoon is dangerous for waters then. Till the evening, of which we shall now to tell, Wendy's never seen the lagoon by moonlight. Less from fear, now for Peter, of, not for, of course Peter, would have occurred to her. But then, because she had strict rules about everyone being in bed by seven, she was often at the lagoon, Ever on sunny days after rain, the mermaids came up in extraordinary numbers at play with their bubbles. A bubbles of many colours made in rainbow water. They treat as bulls hitting them gaily from one another from, with their tails and trying to keep up with the rainbow till they burst. The goals which are at each end of the rainbow and the keepers only allowed to use their hands sometimes a dozen of these games. We'll be going on the lagoon at one time. It's quite a pretty sight. But the moment the children tried to join in, they play for by them, had to play by themselves, and the mermaids immediately disappeared. Nevertheless, we have proof. They secretly watch the interlopers, and not not above taking an idea for them. For John introduced a new way of hitting the bubble, with his head instead of the hand, and mermaids adopted it. This is, only, this is the one mark that John had left on Neverland. It must also have been pretty... Rather pretty to see the mermaid, see the children resting on a rock half an hour after their midday meal. Wendy insisted that the going this had been real rest, even though the meal was make believe. So they lay in their sun, there in the sun, and their bodies glistened in it, while she sat beside them and looked important. It was one such day they were all on Marina's rock. The rock was not much larger than their great bed, but of course they all knew not. How not to take up much room, which when, and and they were dozing, or at least lying with their eyes shut and pinching occasionally when they thought Wendy was not looking. She was very busy stitching. 
As he stitched a change over the goat, came to the goon. Little shivers ran out of it. The sun went away, and the shadows stole across the water, turning it cold. Wendy could no longer see Fred, her needle. And when she looked up, the lagoon had always hitherto been a laughing place, seemed formidable and unfriendly. This is not, she knew, the night had come, but something as dark as night had come. Or worse than that, it had not come, but it had been sent that shiver through the sea to say it was coming. What was it? They crowded, crowded upon her all the stories he had been told of Runa's rock. So called because evil captains put sailors on it to leave them go to drown. They drown when the tide rises, for then it's submerged. It is submerged. Of course, she would arouse the children at once. Not merely because they are known that was stalking towards them, because it's no longer good for them to sleep on a rock, grown chilly. But she was a young mother and didn't know this. She thought she simply must stick to your rock. About half an hour after the midday meal, so through fear was upon her, she longed to hear male voices. She would not waken them, even when she heard the sound of muffled oils through her heart was in her mouth. She did not waken them. She stood over them to let them know them have their sleep out. This was was it not brave of Wendy? It was well for those boys that that then that there was one among them who could sniff danger when he when even he's asleep. Peter sprang erect, a wide awake as once as a dog, and one warning wailing cry he roused the others. He stood motionless, a one ear hand to his ear. Pirates he cried. The others came closer to him. A strange smile was suddenly playing about in his face, and Wendy saw it, and shuddered while the smile on his face no one dared dress him. They all all they could do was stand ready to obey, and the order came sharp and decisive. Dive! There was a gleam of light legs, and instantly the lagoon seemed deserted. Maroon's rock stood alone in forbidding waters, as if they were felt it, it were itself marooned. Boat drew nearer. It was a part dingy. Three figures in her, Smee and Starkey, and the third a captive, and no other, the tiger lily, hands and ankles were tied. She knew what was to be her fate. She was to be left on a rock by to perish, to end one of her, the end of one, one of her race. More terrible, a death by fire or torture, for it is not written in the book of the tribe. There is no path from water to happy hunting ground. Yet her face was impassive. She was the daughter of a chief. She must die as a chief's daughter. It is enough. They called her boarding the pirate ship with a knife in her mouth. Not due to no watch to keep on the watch to keep on the bed ships. It being a hook's boast that the wind his name grounded the ship from a mile around. Now it was a fate she would help to guard it also. One more well would go round in a window by the night, and the gloom that was brought was then them the two pirates did did not see the rock till they crashed into it. Laugh you lover cried the Irish voice that was sneeze. Here's a rock. Now then all have we to do is hoist the red skin onto it and leave her down to here to drown. 
is a welcome one brutal moment. To lay an individual girl on the rock, she was too proud to offer a vain resistance. Quite near the rock, but out of sight, two heads were bobbing up and down. Peter and Wendy, Wendy were crying. Rose crying, for it was the first tragedy she had seen. Peter had seen many tragedies, but he had forgotten them all. He was less sorry than Wendy for Peter Tiger's Lily. It was two against one that angered him. He meant to save her. An uneasy way would have been to wait until the pirates had gone. But he never wanted to choose the easy way. There's almost nothing he could do. He now intimated a voice of hook. Ahoy there, you lubbers! He called. It was a marvellous invitation. The captain said to pirates, Look, staring at each other in surprise. You must be smoothing out the rest, Stark, he said, when he did looked for him in vain. We are putting the red skin on the rocks, me called out. Set her free, said a astonishing answer. Free? Yes, cut her hands and let her go. But, Captain, at once, by be dear, said Quiet Peter, or I'll punch me up into you. This is queer, me cross. Do better do what Captain orders, said Stargy nervously. Aye, aye, Smee said, and he cuts Tiger's cords. At once, like an eel, she slid between Stargy's legs into the water. Of course, Wendy was quite very elated over Peter's cleverness, but she knew that he would also be elated and very likely crow, and thus betray him. So at once, a hand went over to cover his mouth, but he was stayed even in the act, for boy a ho rang over the boat a ho rang over the lagoon, a voice, Hawk's voice. This time it was not Peter who had spoken. Peter had been now about to crow, but his face pluckered into a whistle of surprise instead. Boat a ho came again, came the voice, but Wendy understood. A real Hawk was in also in the water. He was swimming to the boat, and his men showed a light to guide him. He, he, him. He had soon reached them. In the light of the lantern, Pete Wendy saw his hook grip the boat's side. She saw his evil, smarmy face. He rose dripping from the water and quaking. She would have liked to swim away, but Peter would not budge. He's tingling of life and also top heavy with conceit. I am not a wonder. Oh, I am not a wonder. He whispered to her, and through this she thought so also. She was also glad for the sake of his reputation. No one heard him set herself. He signed to her to listen. Two pirates were very curious to her, to know what brought the captain to them. He sat with his head on his hook, in a position of profound melancholy. Captain, is it all, all is well? he asked timidly. And he answered with a, me- a hollow moan. He sighs, says he, me. He sighs again, says Sarky. And yet a third time he sighs, says me. Then at last he spoke passionately. The game was up, he cried. Those boys have found a mother. Afraid in fellow she was. When he swelled with pride. Oh, evil day, he cried Sarky. What's the mother? asked the ignorance me. When he was so shocked, she exclaimed. He doesn't know. And always after this, she felt... She could have have a pipe pirate's me, but he her one. Pulled, pulled, pulled her beneath the water. The hook had started up, crying. What was that? I heard nothing, said Starkey, rising and landing over the waters. And as the pirate looked away, they saw a strange sight. It was the nest I have told you of, floating in the gloom. 
the never bird was sitting on it. See, said Hook, in the question, to see his answer question. That is a mother. What a lesson. A nest must have fallen into water. But would the mother desert her legs? eggs? No. There's a break in his voice, as if in a moment we called her into the days when he, but he brushed away his weakness for his hook. Smee's much oppressed gazed at the bird as the nest was born past. But the mother was suspicious, he said. If she is a mother, perhaps she's hanging about here to help Peter. But Hook winced. Aye, he said, there is a fear that haunts me. He was roused to deject- this dejection, but Smee's from this roused from his dejection by Smee's eager voice. Captain, says Smee, could we not attempt these bug these bug his mother and make her um, our mother it is a principal princely schemes cried hook and then once took practical shape in his great brain we will seize the children carry them to the boat the boys will make walk the plank and wendy shall be our mother again wendy for, forgot herself never she cried and bobbed what was that but that would be but they could see nothing they thought it must have been the relief of the wind do you agree, my bullies? asked Hook. Here is my hand on it, said they both said, and here is my hook, swear. Who swore? By this time they were on the rock, and suddenly Hook remembered the tiger lily. Where's the redskin? he demanded abruptly. He had a playful humour at the moments, and he thought this was one of those moments. That's the white captain, asked me, answered complacently. We let her go. Let her go? cried Hook. It was your own orders, the boatswain faltered. You called over the water to let her, to us to let her go, says Darkie. Brimstone and Gale, thundered Hook. What cousin cheating is going on here? His face had gone black with rage. But he saw what they believed they, they believed their words. He was startled. Lads, he said, shaking a little. I gave no such order. It is a pleasingly it's pleasing queer, me said. And they all and they all fidgeted uncomfortably. Hook raised his voice, but there was a quiver in it. Spirit at that haunts this dark lagoon tonight, he cried. Duff, don't hear me? Of course Peter should have not had kept quiet, but of course he did not. He immediately answered Hook's voice. Odd Bob's hammer and tongs, I hear you. It's a pre moment. Hook did not blanch. Even at the gills, but Smee and Sturkley clung to each other in terror. Who are you, stranger? Speak, Hook demanded. I am James Hook, replied the voice. Captain of Johnny Roger. You're not, you're not, Hook cried hoarsely. Brimstone and gold, the poor voice retorted. Say that again, and I'll cast your anchor at you. Hook tried a little more, a more encouraging manner. If you are Hook, he said almost humbly, come, tell me, who am I? I am a codfish, replied the voice. Only a codfish, a codfish, Hook echoed blankly. It was then, not until then, his pride broke. Proud, his proud spirit broke. He saw his men draw back from him. Have you been, ca- have you been captain all this time by codfish? He muttered. It's lowing up to our pride. Yes, they were dogs snapping at him. But it's a tragic figure though he had become, he scarcely heeded them. Against such fearful evidence, it was not their belief in him that he needed. It was that was his own. He felt his ego slipping from him. 
Don't desert me, bully, he whispered hoarsely to it. In his dark nature there was a touch of feminine in it all the great parts. It's something, and it sometimes gave him intuitions. Suddenly he tried the guessing game. Hook, he called out, called. Have you another voice? Now Peter could only, could only resist the game. He answered politely in his own voice. I have. And the other voice? Aye, aye. Vegetable? Asked Captain. Asked Hook. No, mineral? No. Animal? Yes. Man? No. His answer rang out scornfully. Boy? Yes. Ordinary boy? No. Wonderful boy? To my own pain. The answer then rang that this time was yes. Are you in England? No. Are you here? Yes. Hook was completely puzzled. You will ask him some questions. He said to the others, wiping his brow, down brow. Me reflected. I can't think of thing. Think, can't think of a thing. He said regretfully. Can't guess. Can't guess. Cried Peter. Do you give up? Up. Of course. His pride was. He was carrying the scene, carrying the game too far, and the miscreants, villains, saw their chance. Yes, yes. They cried eagerly. Well then, he cried. I am Peter Pan. Beats that Pan. In a moment. Hook was himself again, and smeared starkly with his faithful Frenchman. Now we have him, Hook shouted. In the water, Smee, Starkly, mind the boat. Take him dead or alive, he leapt as he spoke. Simultaneously came the gay voice of Peter. Are you ready, boys? Ah, highs from the various parts of the lagoon. Then lem into the pirates. The fight was short and sharp. First, the draw of blood was John, who gamely, gamely, Gallantly climbed in the boat and held Starkey. There was a fierce struggle, which the cutlass was torn from the pirate's grasp. He wiggled overboard, and John leapt off him. The dinghy drifted away. Here and there a head bopped up in the water, and there was a flash of steel, followed by a cry and a whoop. Confusion, some struck at their own side. Cookskill, Smee, got totals in the fourth rip, but even himself, Pink, nicked in a turn by Curly. Further than for the rock, Starkey was pressing slightly, and the twins hard. Well, all this time was Peter. He was sick and big again. The others were all brave boys. They must not be blamed for backing from the pirate captain. His iron claw made a circle dull deep dead water around him, from which they fled like f- frightened fishes. But there was one who did not fear him. There was one prepared to enter that circle. Training was not in the water that they met. Hook rose to the rock to breathe. At the same moment, Peter scaled up to the other side. The rock was slippery as a, as a ball. They had to crawl rather than climb. Neither knew that the other was coming. Each feeling for a grip bent the other's arm met the other's arm. In surprise, they raised their heads, their faces almost touching. So they met. Some of the great heroes have confessed that just before they met, fell, two began combat. They had a sinking feeling, and was feeling his stomach. Had it been so with Peter at that moment, I could admit it. After all, he was the only man that Sea Cook had feared, but Peter was not no sinking. He had not one moment feeling only gladness. He gnashed at his pretty teeth for joy. 
quick as the thought, he snatched the knife from the hook's belt and about to drive it home. We saw he was higher up the rock than his foe. He would have been fight, not fighting fair. He gave the part a hand to help him up. It was then that hook bit him. Not the pain of this, but the unfairness was what does dazed Peter. It made him quite helpless. He could only stare horrified. Every child is affected thus the first time when he treated unfairly. All he thinks he he was right to when it comes to you to be yours is fairness. After you have been unfair to him, he will love you again, but he will never afterwards be quite the same boy. No one ever gets over the first unfairness, no one except Peter. He often meant it, but he always forgot it. I suppose it, that was the real difference between him and all the rest. So when he met it now, it was was like the first time he could just stare helpless. Twice the iron hand clawed him. A few moments afterwards, the other boys saw Hook in the water, striking wildly at the sh- for the ship. No revelation or pestilent face now. Only white fear for the crocodile was dogged, dogged in pursuit of him. I know in, on even occasions the boys would have swum alongside, cheering, but they were uneasy, for they had both had lost. Both Peter and Wendy were scurrying the lagoon for them, calling them by name. They found Dingy and went home in it, shouting, Peter Wendy, as he went. But no answer would save monarching laughter from the mermaids. They must be swimming back or flying, boys conceded. They were not very anxious because they had such faith in Peter. They chuckled boy-like because they would be late for bed. And it was all mother's Wendy's fault. When the vo- their voices died away, there came cold silence over the lagoon, and then a feeble cry, Help, help, help! Two small figures were beating against the rock. A girl had fainted and lay on the boy's arms. With the last effort, Peter pulled her up to the rock, and then lay bes- down beside her. Even as, he d- also, even as he also fainted, he saw that the water was rising. He knew they would soon be drowned, but he could do no more. As he lay side by side, a mermaid caught Peter Wendy by the feet and began dragging her softly into the water. Peter, following her, feeling her slip from her, him woke with a start and was just in time to draw her back. But he had to tell her the truth. We're on a rock, Wendy, he said, but it's growing smaller. Soon the water will be over it. You must, she did not understand, even now. You must go, she said, almost so brightly. Yes, he answered firmly, faintly. Shall we swim or fly, Peter? He had to tell her. Do you think you could swim or fly? Father and I, Lumindy, want my help. She had to admit she was too tired. He, he moaned. What is it? She asked, anxious about what about him or, 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 at once. I can't help you, Wendy. Hawks wounded me. I can't even fly or swim. Do you mean we should both be brown? Look. How the water is rising. They put their hands over their eyes to shut their out of the sight. They brought, thought they would have soon be no more. As they sat that thus something brushed against Peter, as light as a kiss had stayed there, as if he saying saying timidly, Can we be of use? It is a tale of a kite which William Michael made some days before. It tore itself out of his hand and floated away. Michael's kite, Peter said, without interest. 
but in the next moment he seized the tail and was pulling the kite towards him. It lifted Michael off the ground, he cried. Why should it not carry both you? Why should it not carry you? Both of us cannot lift two, Michael and Curly tried. Let us draw lots, Wendy said bravely. You are a lady, never already he had tied a tail around her. She clung to him and refused to go without him. But with a goodbye, Wendy, he pushed her off the rock, and a few minutes she was bombed out of sight. Peter was alone on the dune. The rock was very soon small now. Soon it would be submerged. Pale rays of light tiptoed across the waters, and by and by there be heard a sound at once, most musical and most melancholy, a world of mermaids calling to the moon. Peter was not quite like other boys, but he was afraid at last, a tremor roamed through him, like a shudder passing over the sea. But on the sea, one shudder follows another, till there are hundreds of them. Peter felt just the one. Next time he was standing erect on the rock again, with a smile on his face and a drum beating within him. He was saying, to die would be an awfully big adventure. Chapter 9, The Neverbird The last sound Peter heard, before he was quite alone, were the mermaids retiring one by one to their bedchambers under the sea. He was too far away to hear the doors shut, but every door in the coral caves were their, their life rings a tiny bell when it opens or closes, as all the nicest houses in the mainland, and he heard the bells. Steadily the waters rose, till they were nibbling his feet to pass the time until they made the final gulp. He watched the only thing in the lagoon. He felt it was a piece of floating paper, perhaps a part of the kite, and wondering idly how long it would take to drift ashore. Presently he noticed an odd thing, that it was undoubtedly one undoubtedly out upon the lagoon with some defined purpose, for it was fighting the tide and something winning. When it won, Peter, almost always sympathetic, weaker side, well, could not help clapping. It was such a gallant piece of paper. It was not really a piece of paper, it was a never bird, making desperate attempts to reach Peter on the nest. Before working her white wings, the way she learnt since the nest fell to water, she was able to, to some extent, to guide strange craft. But by the time Peter recognised her, she was very exhausted. She came to save him, to give him her nest. There, through, through there will be where were eggs in it. I'd rather wonder at the at bird, for though he had been nice to her, he always some, he had also sometimes tormented her. I can suppose the owner. I can only suppose that, like Mrs. Darling, arrest them. She was melting because he had all his first teeth. He called out to him. And she, what she had come for, and he called out to her what she was doing there. But of course, neither of them understood the other's language. In the fanciful stories, people can talk to birds freely. I wish for that moment I could pretend there was such a story. And St. Peter replied intently to the never bird, The truth is best. I want to tell you that only what really happened. Well, not only could they not understand each other, but they forgot their manners. I want you to get into the nest, the bird called swiftly, speaking as slowly and distinctly as possible, and then you can drift ashore. 
but I am too tired to bring it any nearer, so you must try to swim to it. What are you quacking about? Peter answered. Why don't you don't let that nest drift as usual? I want you, the bird said, said and repeated all over. Then Peter tried slow and distinct. What are you quacking about? And so on. However, the bird came more irritated. They have very short tempers. You dunderhead little jay, she screamed. Why don't you do as I tell you? Peter felt that he was calling her names. And eventually he retorted totally. And so are you. Then rather curiously they both snapped out the same remark. Shut up, shut up. Nevertheless the bird was determined to save him. If she could. And one last mighty effort she paled a nest against the rock. Then she flew deserting her eggs so to make her meaning clear. Then as the last he understood and clutched the nest and waved his thanks to the bird as she muttered overhead. He was not to receive his thanks, however, as she hung there in the sky. He was never been she was not even to watch him get into the nest. It was to see what he did with the egg her eggs. The two large white eggs and Peter lifted them up and reflected. The bird covered her face with her wings, so not to see the last of them. She could not help peeping between the feathers. I forgot whether I was told you that they was out to starve on the rock, driven into the by, into it by some buccaneers of long ago, that marked the site of buried treasure. Children discovered a glittering horn, and in a mischievous mood, used to fling showers of monodomes, diamonds, pearls, and pieces of eight to the gulls, and would pounce upon them for food, and flew away, so ravaging, raging the scurvy trick you played upon them. The starve was all there, and on it Starkey had held his hat, a deep turbaned watertight, a barrel brim. Peter got it, put the eggs into his hat, and saw it, set it on the lagoon. It floated beautifully. Never birds saw it, it at once, what he was up to, and screamed her admiration for him. And at last Peter crowed his agreement, his agreement with her. Then he got to the nest, reared its stave in it, as it masked and hung to his shirt for a sail. At the very same moment the bird fluttered down over the hat, and once more sat snugly on his eggs. She drifted in one direction, he was borne off in the other, both cheering. Of course, when Peter landed, he breached his cool small ship. Actually, the bird's nest, never bird's nest in this particular case, the point, in a place where the bird would easily find it. But the hat was about was such a great success he abandoned the nest it drifted from about until we went to pieces and often Starkey came to the shore of the moon with many bitter feelings watched the bird sitting on his hat as she, we shall never see her again it may be worth mentioning here that all birds now build in a state of nest with a broad brim which youngsters take an airing great were the rejoicings that Peter reached the home underground almost as soon as Wendy had been carried hither and thither by the kite. Every boy had adventures to tell, but perhaps the biggest adventure of all was that they were several hours late for bed. This has inflated them, so that inflated them that they did first dodgy things to get, staying up till longer, such demanding bondages. But Wendy 
though glorifying in having them all home again, safe and sound, was scandalized by the lateness of the hour, and cried, To bed, to bed! A voice that was to be obeyed. Next day, however, she was awfully tender, gave out bandages to every one, and they all played till bedtime, and limping about and carrying their arms in slings. <laughs>